Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Lucas and Vincent were not in the mainstream of gay life. I was saving body parts, such as uh, skulls. Doesn't it bother you that he's a fag? You have done me a great service. Now I must service you. And the drugs were, were always a, a cry for attention, for somebody to pay attention to me before I, you know, kill somebody. <laughs> You can imagine what it smells like if you go into a closed room. Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. Buckle up, sodomites, and welcome to the Sinister Sissies Podcast. Your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man-on-man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity. Sorry, I'm already distracted by Sam. I'm smiling. I'm, I'm happy to be back. <laughs> My beautiful little slave, Sam Hamilton. Welcome back, Sam. Hello. Jared's had me stored in the fridge for the last five months. So I'm just... He's thawing out as we speak. Yeah, I am defrosting and I'm ready to bloody drip all over all of you. I got a little little excited. It has been a while since we recorded. It's been many hot minutes. Welcome to season four. Yeah. Yeah, because... There was a there was a proposal that we don't count the seasons that Sam wasn't involved in, but I'm going to count them, and we're going to be season four. You've got to count them, you know. I feel like Sinister Sissies. It's like Mara's place. It's like when um, what's her name? Heather. Yes. When, Is like, it? Oh when, when Heather when Heather Lockley had joined Mara's place, it really like took off and became Mara's place. And I like to think of myself as the Heather Locklear of this podcast. I can't believe I guessed a Melrose Place fact. Yeah, I thought that you just knew because, you know, it's iconic. Is it? I know there's something about someone taking off a wig. Yeah, oh, that was Kimberly, yeah. Okay, okay. Didn't you see her scars from her car accident? Because oh. I think that we thought she was dead in the car accident and she yeah, came this back is not what the podcast full is about. amnesia. Anyway, yes. Hi, Welcome everyone. Back. If anyone's discussed soap operas, please text me. <laughs> Welcome back to Sinister Sissies Season 4. Uh, before we get to the episode today, a couple of little changes that you may not be so happy about or might be happy about, depending how you look at it. Uh, so, the episode release schedule for 2022 
is, so we're going to do longer shows. We're going to do a full hour for each episode. We're going to try to. Maybe I won't overpromise that. They're going to be longer episodes, but they're going to come out a little less frequently. Uh, Once a month rather than once a fortnight. Just to give us time to actually do some proper research. For all you long-time listeners, you know, we're just teasing your dicks. It's gone from weekly, fortnightly, and monthly, <laughs> you know, and it's always better after you've waited a little bit, you know? It is. It's the anticipation. We have, uh, for our first episode back, we have a serial killer, one who I hadn't heard of before had you neither had i which is very odd as this particular individual is classed by some as australia's first serial killer i posted that on twitter and then someone was like well actually there's this american soldier that is the first serial killer well whatever a lot of people refer to him yeah person today as australia's first serial killer. one of our earliest serial killers in australia and definitely our first gay one at least yes let's claim that we're taking it. We're, we're saying that definitively. Uh, someone who has quite an interesting story um, behind them. We're talking about today William McDonald, a.k.a. The Mutilator. One of my favourite underrated slasher movie covers. <laughs> the Mutilator. Uh, McDonald was a prolific serial killer who killed in Queensland and New South Wales. Uh, the tally on record is that he killed five victims over a two-year period from 1961 to 1962. He did seem to really like it, though, so I wouldn't be surprised if there were more. Yes, um, and there was kind of a habitual urge to kill that happened in McDonald's killing. So if he wasn't caught in time, I think that they would have kept happening as well. When something interesting about these killings, which we'll go into is they often happened at like gay sex spots or bath houses, all that kind of stuff. Um, And it actually took a long time for the connection of there being a serial killer to even be made. So I think that there's definitely a high chance that, you know, there are a lot of murders, you know, gay men, ill, the police were scared and that could have been attributed to him maybe that we just don't know about. Yeah, it was either um, gay men or he also targeted people who were kind of homeless. Yeah. Um, and alcoholics and otherwise just kind of, you know, the police didn't really care about them all that much. Um, but as we like to do, let's start at the early life of this serial killer. So McDonald was born in Liverpool in England in 1924. I was slightly amused by this, but I don't know if you'll get the reference. His his birth name was Allen Ginsberg. I do know who Ginsberg is, yes. Yeah, the, like, beat poet, I, I did Allen think Ginsberg. That, I did think that was interesting. So. Who was born in 1926, so was almost born at, like, the oh. same year. Also gay, not a serial killer, possibly a pedophile. Uh, <laughs> well, look, uh, can't be confirmed, so we'll, we'll just leave that one. <laughs> No, I think that's slightly confirmed. Anyway, uh, William MacDonald, though, uh, was born in England. Um, He was an unusual child. Um, Isn't everyone that we cover here? It's true, but I was an unusual child as well, so let's not just pick on the unusual children. No, I just really want to, like, cover a case where it's like, he was really popular, his life was perfect. Although, in a way, this is a good thing. It's like, maybe if we all raise our future offspring right, there'll be no serial killers. 
maybe intergenerational trauma will always find a way to seep in and fuck up the next well, generation. Or maybe they're excluded for a reason, though, as well. Like, just because... There's so Mc- always something not right. <laughs> so, McDonald, again, was a, was a loner. He liked to take long walks at night by himself. Um, seemed very preoccupied um, in his own world um, to the point where... He was diagnosed at a young age with some reports call it schizophrenia at a young age, but I don't think that's accurate. I think it's, he was diagnosed with what's known as like a prodromal version of schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, early signs are that someone's going to have like a psychotic illness in the future. Um, uh, We don't know much more about his youth. He seemed to have a loving family, um, despite the fact that he had these issues. But at the age of 19, he enlisted in the army. Um, Now, his experience in the army uh, would prove pretty definitive for McDonald um, because he, whilst at a barracks um, at a local base, he was raped by one of his corporals. Um, now, this experience was, of course, traumatic because it was a horrific sexual assault. Um, but in later media interviews, McDonald also said that it was via this assault that he realised that he was gay. Yeah, well, it, there's that controversial sort of, like, he, he was raped, but then he claims that... or. It's thought that he liked it. I think he might have said that he liked he, it. No, he did. He, yeah. he, he, he said that he was incredibly traumatized at the time, but then the, the fantasy of the physical experience that he went through was something that he basically got off over. Well, it also sounds like some sort of misguided way of dealing with the trauma because obviously it led to a lot of the other things that we're going to be speaking about. Yeah. He claims that his future victims, he heard the voice of his abuser coming from them or something along those lines. There's some fucked up psychosexual stuff happening here of, uh, so he's 19 years old, an authority figure rapes him. And through that experience, he realizes um, that he's gay at the time. And he, he described this in media interviews as, as well. Um, his idea of like a life as a homosexual um, was basically that of kind of misery and humiliation. So um, uh, I can only imagine the kind of mental torture that he went through. Um, he did spiral soon after the assault and was discharged from the military in 1947, um, where he was diagnosed officially with schizophrenia. He spent several months in a a mental institution because his brother, I believe, pushed him into the institution. Um, In the institution, he received shock treatment. Um, Which clearly didn't work. No. It's one of those weird things because technically doesn't it actually work, but they still don't know why. ECT does, has been proven to work. Yeah, sorry, I called it shock treatment. Well, I mean, back in the the 60s, it was probably called (laughs) shock treatment, so I think that's fine. Yeah, electric convulsive therapy, yeah? I believe that's the correct Okay, okay, um, okay. Initialing, I mean, not initialing, um, the correct term, we'll we'll go with... (laughs) See, I am rusty here. But no, I mean, I've had a friend that got ECT and it really helped with their moods. So, yeah, I, 
I have heard that it is legit treatment, but I still don't think they know exactly how it works. Well, it's like lithium. They don't fully know why it works. Yeah. They just know it works. So some of these psychiatric treatments, it's, I don't even know it's how It's all they... a bunch of witch doctors. Well, who knows? How did, <laughs> if, if they don't know how lithium works, for example, how did they come to know it would work? Anyway, that's for like... It's another It's another thing. That's for like a, mens- a psychiatric podcast. <laughs> clearly, but... clearly um, uh, whatever they were trying to do on McDonald's wasn't as effective as it could be. Um, soon after McDonald got released from an institution, uh, he left England for Australia. Um, this occurred in 1955. And it was at this point he changed his name from Allen Ginsberg to William McDonald. And this kind of changing names business occurs frequently in McDonald's story. We're going to call him William McDonald just because that's the the most consistent name that he had. Well, he did. He was William McDonald twice, just a different spelling. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So he, he just, he liked to change up his name constantly, which is an interesting quality to him. I guess that loner who constantly wants to restart with different people. Yeah, we had a few reinventions and he also was very paranoid about being caught for his crimes. So yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. both of those ideas marrying each other. So shortly um, after McDonald got to Australia, he started to um, take part in the local gay scene and also local beats. He well, that probably was local gay scene at the time. I reckon they would have had a bar. A bar, you know, he definitely liked the bath houses. Yes. I think there was like a burgeoning 1950s, early 1960s. I think there would have been a something. If we actually do have any listeners that do you think we have any like listeners in the 70s and 80s we could i'd actually love to hear about the scene in that time i i mean from from what i understand he he was involved in whatever the gay scene was at yeah. the time but yeah it could have involved a bunch of beat sex uh, mcdonald was charged with indecent assault um and it was because of a sting that occurred at a beat so he walked up to a detective who was at the urinal and i think grabbed the, the detective's penis and that yeah, that's what we call bad luck. Yes, it's like, also entrapment. To some well, I mean, it, I mean, it depends if the policeman was doing it George, I Ma- think, George Michael style or if it was a coincidence. No, I think the idea was that the policeman was like standing there like, hey, okay, rocking out of his cock out. Yeah, and um, basically entrapped McDonald. We say no to that. Uh, McDonald was placed on a two-year good behavior bond after that sexual assault charge. Um, he moved all around Australia. He was basically taking up odd jobs everywhere and occasionally would change his name as part of that. Um, he, during this time, would begin to ruminate and fantasize about the corporal who raped him. Um, again, having that kind of mix of anger and sexual arousal in his head um, kind of twisted his psyche to a point where he eventually would start killing. McDonald's first victim was 63-year-old Amos Hurst. So in 1961, whilst living in Brisbane, McDonald met Hurst at a railway station. They got drunk at various pubs and eventually ended up back at Hurst's apartment. One thing I will say, these murderers that, like, get people drunk and sort of lead them into various situations really scares me, as I was just talking to Jared before we recorded I just fed you some wine. That's true, but I know you. (laughs) Well, I spent my whole weekend, I went to two parties, I didn't know anybody, and I just wandered off with people that I didn't know. It's like, it could, you know, it's it's easy. It could happen. You meet someone in the bar who's charming, and next thing you're dead. 
It's true. Well, that's because I don't know what the dynamic was between Hurst and McDonald. I think Hurst, I think, was just a drunk mm. um, and was happy to have someone else around. But I don't know. If you're drinking with someone, I feel like you've got some wits about you. No? I don't know. I think sometimes you just want a drinking buddy. That's true. I have to want a drinking buddy. That's true. Um, all right. We're very vulnerable to serial killers, clearly. Well, clearly you are. <laughs> um, I mean, I was on the weekends, but, you know, just you feel like you can... Tr- sometimes when you meet people and you're in a certain state, I guess you just do feel like you can trust them. Yeah. And then you don't know anything about them and maybe everything they're saying to you is bullshit. I mean, I love drunk role playing when I meet people. Actually, interesting story. Okay. It's a slight tangent. I wonder if he'll listen. <laughs> so when I was in Sydney, I pretended to be devoutly religious when I was drunk. Oh. And I met this guy... And slept with him. And then I just... Found, I found he was from Melbourne and I have completely avoided him since. Um, but he followed this... Wait, his, his Instagram. To, <laughs> he followed the Instagram literally today. Um, so he's found me. Um, um, why were you pretending to be devoutly religious? I'm the one that can't be trusted now. Um, I don't... Sometimes when I get really drunk and I'm, I was in another city, I put on... I, just I like I like make-up stories my, to Uber drivers. It, I don't... Well, this guy Uber drive into my asshole. <laughs> um, Is it because you wanted to pretend to be like an innocent boy that... Yeah. Oh, you, guess, you, you knew how to play the Louise my narrative. Da- my daddy issues. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't fully remember it, to be honest, because I was quite drunk. But I do know that I started off on this tangent and I said that my friend was also devoutly religious and this was like... like <laughs> Being wild was, like, new to us. All right. So anyway. if you're listening to the episode, um, his his faith has been broken. It clearly. has been. Um, uh, just He's part of a satanic podcast Just now. recently. <laughs> um, when uh, McDonald went back to Hurst's apartment, they kept drinking. So this was, like, a heavily boozy affair. Um, and it was at this point that uh, McDonald started to get a strong, aggressive urge and started to strangle Hurst. And not just any strangling. Apparently, he strangled him until he started bleeding. I'm sure yeah. from the mouth. So from the was, mouth, yeah. He was going in hard. Um, Hurst was, was killed. Um, it, but, there's, but, by most uh, accounts, Hurst probably barely noticed because no. he was so drunk. But the interesting thing is he actually ended up killing Hurst with a punch to the head, I think. So he basically did all of this oh, did he? Okay. with his bare hands. Unless yeah. I'm remembering incorrectly, I'm sure I've done this many times <laughs> to many victims. But I'm pretty sure that he punched him in the head as like the final blow. So it's interesting his first victim was completely with his bare hands. Yeah, it was, it was obviously an aggressive assault with his hands. Um, and McDonald tucked... Hurst into bed, the corpse of Hurst into bed, uh, and then left the apartment. Um, now, this is the start of some very convenient narratives for McDonald. After Hurst's body was discovered, um, the autopsy actually concluded that he died of a heart attack um, that occurred as part of the attack. Um, and this was very, very lucky for McDonald's. Um, uh, he was paranoid at the time, constantly checking the papers, thinking that he was about to get caught for murder. Um, but it was ruled a heart attack. And so McDonald was then really beholden and under the impression that he could now get away with murder. Which is odd because then he started taking things a lot further. Let's just say the future victims had some parts of them 
cut off and taken as souvenirs. Spoilers. Sometimes disposed of. Spoilers. Okay, sorry. Uh, after getting that confidence boost from Hearst, uh, McDonald started to actually plan out uh, killing future victims. He um, bought a knife from a local store and actually um, had a, a first attempt to kill a man that he met at a local bar who um, he started he thought reminded him of the corporal that raped him um, and had this intense, a- aggressive impulse. Um, but by the time that this guy that he was drinking with passed out, the impulse went away and he said, actually, I don't want to go ahead. Um, his official sec- second victim was 41-year-old Alfred Greenfield. Um Greenfield was homeless and unemployed. Um, McDonald met him when he um, was originally holidaying in Sydney, but he eventually moved to Sydney. So when he was in Sydney, he spotted Greenfield sitting at a park bench in Green Park, Darlinghurst. McDonald uh, offered Greenfield a drink and lured him to the Domain Baths in Sydney um, under the pretext of giving him more alcohol. Um, uh, McDonald had, had recently bought an even better knife for this one. Uh, it was a long-bladed razor-sharp knife that was specifically designed for uh, combat situations, the kind of military situation. McDonald waited until Greenfield fell asleep. He then removed the knife and stabbed Greenfield um, at least 30 times. And this was a regular thing too. He often stabbed the victims. Like Excessively. A, yeah, like a similar count yeah. to the 30. Yeah. Um, this is where his, uh, his name of the mutilator starts coming into play. Um, after killing Greenfield, McDonald pulled down his trousers and underwear and severed the genitals of Greenfield, put them in a plastic bag, and then through the genitals into the Sydney Harbour. Uh, Greenfield's body was found at the bath, and this was the start of the media attention about the man that they called the mutilator. Uh, because of the odd nature of the attack and the kind of the, the viciousness of the attack that occurred, police uh, originally thought that this was a crime of passion and potentially was done by a woman. Um, they thought maybe this was a jilted ex or something like that. And that's why, you know, the severing of the genitals would have occurred. So at this stage, police were on the lookout for a kind of single murder, remember? So Hurst was deemed a heart attack. And so as far as they were concerned, this was only one victim who was killed quite violently. That would change when uh, McDonald met Ernest William Cobbin. Um, we don't know his precise age, but he was around middle-aged and uh, was also a homeless man. Uh, McDonald was walking down South Dowling Street in New South Wales, where he met Cobbin. He lured him to Moore Park, again for alcohol, and drank beer with him in a public toilet with his trusty knife on hand. 
He also got himself a trusty raincoat, which I believe that he may have used for more than one of the murders. Yeah, yeah, I think from now on, after he bought the raincoat, he used it. It's kind of creepy. It really gives you that sort of horror movie serial killer, like with the slicker. You know what I automatically thought of? Ellis, sweet Ellis. Don't look now. No, I didn't realize there were so many other. Uh, I'm, I was, th- I'm I was, thinking American Psycho. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> my mind's always in like seventies and eighties horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but you are, you are right. Don't ask Alice. Um, Alice, sweet Alice. Alice, sweet Alice. So I think don't ask Alice is that self help book. <laughs> what am I supposed to not ask her about? I don't know. Or is it <laughs> please ask Alice. Anyway, there's something. Sorry, about Alice. don't look now. Don't look now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with the weird, I don't know. Is it bad? Is, I feel like that's not a politically correct movie these days because the the horror comes from the fact that someone has like a medical condition at the end. Yes, it's it's. I, I feel like that was also for, all for shock value as well. But I think it's a great film. It is a great film. Yeah. Um. So he 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 specifically planned ahead to wear a, a plastic raincoat. Um. When Cobbin was sitting on the to- on a toilet seat. Uh, McDonald used an uppercut motion and struck Cobbin in the neck with his knife, severing his jugular vein, blood splattering everywhere. McDonald continued to stab Cobbin multiple times. So this, this entire cubicle was just covered in blood. Um, he then pulled down Cobbin's pants, uh, cut off his genitals and placed them in a plastic bag along with a knife and departed the scene. It's weird how measured the ending seems. It's like he stabs one like 30 times, then you just casually, you know, slowly cut their penis. Putting them in the plastic bag for some reason is the weird part of me. It just feels very like, it makes it feel very subdued in the end compared to like the brutality of the beginning. Yeah, it's like he's taking a little like gift with him. Yeah, it's like, okay, I'll take off my Like a doggy bag from the murder. Yeah. (laughs) When McDonald returned home, he um, washed... His, um, himself, he washed all the blood off him. He also washed the genitals in the plastic bag in warm water so that they were clean and then took the clean genitals with him in bed and okay. slept next to the genitals. Uh, the next day, he um, uh, weighted down the plastic bag with a brick and then threw it into Sydney Harbour, as he had done previously. Uh, Now that we had a second victim, the media was having a bit of a frenzy at this point. Um, There were headlines saying, Mutilator strikes again. Um, The police began narrowing in. They were specifically now looking at a psychopathic homosexual, as they would say. And they also thought that the person committing the murders potentially had surgical experience because apparently yeah. he was so good at it, they started thinking it must be a doctor or something. Well, to kind of neatly sever genitals of someone, like, that can't be easy, can it? Well, it's because he gets all the rage out but he, before he kills them. And then when they're dead, he's like, okay, let me just take a moment. He has that kind of, like... That catharsis. Disinterested... That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, it would be several months before McDonald would strike again. Um... In uh, 1962 now, in March of 1962, McDonald purchased a different knife, a long-bladed razor knife um, that he bought from a sports store um, and then put it together with his trusty raincoat and a plastic bag handy and went on the prowl once again. At 10 p.m., he left the Oxford Hotel in Darlinghurst 
um, and began following a man named Frank Gladstone McLean. Uh, now, this is... Uh, actually, I think I know where this location is. Um, this is near Darlinghurst Police Station. So, we started stalking this guy right next to the police station. Uh, McDonald struck up a conversation with McLean, who was quite drunk at the time, um, and convinced him to turn down nearby Burke Lane. As they rounded the corner, uh, McDonald began... began stabbing McLean several times with a knife. But not enough times. No. So it's important to note the time as well. This is at uh, 10 p.m. So it's not even that late at night, and he's just started to stab a guy um, down an alleyway. Well, I think this particular murder definitely suggests his carelessness and the fact that his impulses were just taking over, like, yeah. over logic. Because, yeah, he's killing someone right near a police station. He's doing it basically in public view. And I think, wasn't it a family that found the victim? Like, still bleeding out? Yeah, it was a, um, two parents and a, and a baby carriage. Because um, that was what eventually scared him off, is that he started hearing the noise of a baby crying. So, at this point, the dad sees him, you know, bleeding out, goes over to health. McDonald's, I, don't know, I guess, run off somewhere. But then the family go to the police station or the hospital to get some assistance and in that time mcdonald returns and finishes the job yeah pulls down this guy's pants just like the other victims cuts off his dick takes a little souvenir by that point it's too late and then runs off all in a kind of very busy environment um so where he did this killing it's kind of near a main street and mcdonald apparently ran through a whole main street full of busy people covered in blood and no one noticed anything uh, the joys of inner cities, I guess. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of Friday the 13th Part 8 when Jason Jason takes Manhattan, when Jason's terrorizing them on the subway and everyone just acts like it's completely normal. You're getting too far in the sequels for me. I don't think I've Sorry. seen Jason takes Manhattan. I think I, mean, I saw, I saw, I've seen the, the kill where he knocks someone's head off. Yes. That was, that's like, <laughs> that's like in the last half an hour when they actually were in Manhattan. The rest oh, yeah, because most of it's on, on a boat. It's on a boat. I know that. <laughs> yeah. I've heard the notorious reputation. Um... Obviously, at this stage, um, with a fourth victim, the media were in full panic mode. Um, These sorts of crimes, particularly the sexual nature of the crime and the removing of the genitals, were pretty unprecedented in Australia's history at this point. Uh, The police were so desperate that they were consulting kind of clairvoyant. Uh, They they consulted a... This is like a weird a piece of uh, Australian history. They consulted a very famous witch from Sydney called Rosaline Norton, who is a witch and an artist. She's known as the Witch of King's Cross. Uh, I wrote an article about her, if anyone wants to look oh. that up. Um, uh, but they consulted her. Do you believe in her powers? I don't believe in her powers, but I believe in her. So she was very into, like, sex rituals and stuff. She's a very, very, she was a very fascinating woman. Um... But she was, she was called upon to see if she could find who McDonald was. As far as I know, she didn't help the investigation, well, unfortunately. Well, it sounds like it from how it played out. No. Due to the high publicity of this case as well, police were led down a number of false leads. They had one particular case of one guy who was claiming to be a victim of McDonald, and it turned out that he was just a mentally unwell man. Um, yeah, a lot of kind of false phone calls, people think that they know who it is, and they just really didn't. 
McDonald's fifth and final victim um, would occur a number of months later after a, a series of changes in McDonald's life. So um, McDonald was fired from his job. He had a job at the time sorting mail for the postal service and he was fired from that job. And interestingly, in this job, he had an alias. Yes, again, constantly with the false names. He'd given them a fake name. Do you want to... I can't actually remember what it was, but... Uh, Alan Edward Brennan. So he he had this alter ego... This job didn't work out for him. So he ended up going into business himself. He did. So he apparently had saved up a fair amount of money. Um, And so this also solved another problem that he had in that he had a falling out with his landlord. So he had a situation where he bought a business for himself, a little shop that sold, I think, sandwiches and small goods and things. Um, And he also lived in the shop. Um, And it was, this was in the Western suburbs of Sydney. After he set up this little enterprise, McDonald's started to have his his violent urges. He got a little... This time he was even more careless, though. He was. McDonald's went to what is described in the reports as a wine saloon, and I'm Sam gonna, and I were discussing. And... I'm going to take this as like a fancy wine bar. Maybe I had like those saloon, those things you have to push up. I love the idea. Let's go to a wine saloon. Um... He went to a wine saloon in downtown Sydney, uh, specifically looking for a victim. Uh, It was here that uh, McDonald found 42-year-old James Hackett, who was known as a kind of petty criminal and a derelict, and also known for drinking quite heavily. Um, McDonald took Hackett back to his new residence, which was connected to his store, to continue drinking until Hackett passed out on the floor. McDonald then got his knife, which he used um, as part of the delicatessen in his shop um, to stab the sleeping Hackett. Just think your meat was being carved to the same knife that was carving up bodies. Yeah. I mean, he's probably very good at carving up meat in a delicatessen. Well, clearly he was. If he was doing like surgically precise cuts on, you know, people's genitals, imagine how good he was at cutting lamb. (laughs) Um, uh, McDonald repeatedly stabbed Hackett in the neck um, and stabbed him to death. And this was this was McDonald's final victim. But this one was really careless because you know, he let him bleed all over the floorboards. Yeah. Blood was flying everywhere. I'm imagining God also, knows what was going God knows where, really. Also did it in his house, which also happened to be his place of business. Um McDonald wanted to follow his kind of signature move and cut off Hackett's genitals, um, but the knife he had at the time was too blunt, and so he couldn't remove the genitals, and so he resorted to just stabbing Hackett's scrotum. Um, Eventually, once his urges were satisfied, he dragged the dead and naked Hackett underneath his shop and left him there. At this point, because the crime was so bloody and it was so closely tied to his business and his residence, uh, McDonald's got incredibly, incredibly paranoid. Um, He grew a moustache, took on the name of Alan McDonald and fled to New Zealand. After the body was under the shop, For three weeks, uh, neighbours started to notice a putrid smell and eventually called police. Um, When the police arrived, 
they found a rotting corpse and because of the rough age of the body that they found it was heavily decomposed at that stage they assumed it was the shop owner ellen brennan who was also mcdonald so this is one of the weirdest parts of this entire story is that mcdonald our killer under his assumed name was declared dead yeah so everyone thought he was dead there was a funeral yeah there were there was a funeral where like his work colleagues from the postal service um like just assumed they they got it they saw the notice in the newspaper and were like okay i'll attend their funeral um and so mcdonald was declared dead which is such a like quirk of history because he absolutely could have gotten away with yeah he could have done anything at this point but instead he fled to new zealand yeah stayed there for a little bit but the urge to kill started to sort of simmer again and for some reason he felt like to kill he had to return to sydney yeah his, his complete fatal mistake was this idea of he couldn't just continue his killings in new zealand if he was going to kill if he was going to satisfy his urge to kill he had to return to sydney he must have been a great identity thief though i mean you know he's had like three to four identities he's somehow able to do international travel i was gonna say how did he get to new zealand on a false name I mean, I'm assuming it was probably easier to fake a passport, you know, 50 plus years ago. Possibly, yeah. I don't know. I mean, in Catch Me How You Came, when they fake checks, it looks pretty easy. Okay. And everyone knows the movies are true. Well, look, he was obviously, (laughs) he was able to pull it off somehow. Um, When McDonald returned to Sydney, he ran into a former work colleague by the name of John McCarthy. And this is just like the worst luck ever. Like, what are the chances... You come back, you try and keep a low profile, you just want to come back, kill somebody, but oh, it's my old work colleague. I And like this exchange just sounds incredibly hilarious where McCarthy's like, oh, I, I thought you were dead. I attended your funeral. Um, and McDonald said a couple of things, but he essentially was like, leave me alone. And then realizing that he this was going to implicate him just ran off. But then the work colleague went to the police. They didn't believe him. I think they no. thought he might have been drunk. So the work colleague had mental health issues and also was an alcoholic. Okay. So the police were eventually like, no, the the guy that you used to know from work didn't come back from the yeah. dead. <laughs> some sort of drunk fever dream. But uh, know, uh, I'm glad he persisted, though. He ends up going to, was it the Daily Mirror? Some He of, was. He went to a tabloid, yeah. See, this is, look, the tabloids can pull through sometimes. They're not all evil. Um, So he went to the Daily Mirror and they had an infamous headline called The Case of the Walking Corpse. Um, So at this stage, stage, no one had put together this was the mutilator. This just seemed like a very bizarre story of someone faking their death of some sort. Or at least, at the very least, just killing one person to fake their death. But the heat from the story forced the police department to, you know, do their job. They yes. ex- they exhumed the body and then they, they realised, oh, it's not who we think it is. So <laughs> I think there were there was two things. There was uh, uh, the fingerprints didn't match. Uh, and then there was also, I believe it was a tattoo or a particular... Um, no, sorry, it was... Uh, as the dye in his clothing oh. was traced back to who the victim was. I just remember he, like reading that the fingerprints matched the, yeah. vic- the victim and obviously not McDonald's as he wasn't dead. <laughs> well, so they had to then uh, obviously try and find McDonald. McDonald at this stage had fled to Melbourne. 
um, and was working on a rail yard um, when his work colleagues on the rail yard began to notice uh, that he looked very similar to the guy that they were looking for in Sydney. Um, They called the police and he was eventually arrested. Upon police questioning, McDonald admitted to the killings. Um, He blamed them on an irresistible urge to kill and traced it back to the rape that he experienced as a teenager um, and his schizophrenia. Um, And this is also when we first start hearing that uh, McDonald was hearing voices in his head um, and... Uh, he was here. Yeah, he was somehow associating the victims, according to him, with the man that had raped him. Yes. And the voices he was hearing. I guess you could deduce that maybe he thought that they were speaking to him, like with the corporal's voice or something like that. Yeah. So that yeah, they were essentially just telling. They were telling him. It's it's actually not clear what they were telling him. I don't think he ever explicitly said, but he said that he heard voices, and also that the. Um, the victims reminded him of the corporal. Mm. Yeah. Which, you know, the victims were all, like, 40-plus, so I guess you could definitely associate that with, like, the age of someone in, like, a position of authority. Older man, yeah, I suppose. And it it may have been that he was sexually attracted to these men and that sprung the kind of association. Uh, McDonald was charged with four counts of murder. Um, uh, I don't believe... I. Couldn't find why all five victims weren't on the charge sheet. It may have been that first victim because there was an initial uh, conclusion that he died of a heart attack was possibly the more difficult one to prove. The trial began in 1963. McDonald pled not guilty on the grounds of insanity and a number of psychiatric experts were put forward uh, in order to indicate that he was medically insane. However, the jury uh, did not accept the not guilty by reason of insanity um, uh, evidence that was put forward, even though, I mean, by all accounts, there was kind of overwhelming evidence. It definitely seems like there were many things astray with his mental health, but I guess it was the 60s. And also, in fact, this was like some gay man going around murdering other men, Mm. cutting off their dicks. You know, I think it was probably just a little bit overwhelming for the jury and they just... They probably weren't really taking into account anything, but... Also, I don't know how well understood things like schizophrenia were. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Um, When passing his sentence, Justice uh, McLennan said that it was the most barbaric case of murder in disregard of human life that he had ever encountered on the bench. Uh, McDonald showed no signs of remorse um, and at one point indicated that because of the urges that he was having, he would possibly go on killing. He was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences at life sentences and a strong recommendation to never be released. Um, it, as an indication of his ongoing dangerousness, as soon as he entered prison, he also started to bash the shit out of a, another prisoner because the urge took over him again and he needed it released. He was not well. No. He spent some time in a standard prison environment, um, but was transferred to a psychiatric center for 16 years um, because of his continued erratic behavior. He, um, I believe, is still the what was the longest serving 
uh, prisoner in New South Wales in terms of records. Um, a weird kind of little anecdote is when a journalist interviewed him in the year 2000 and asked whether or not he'd like to get out of prison. Um, his response was, it's terrible out there. People aren't even safe in their own homes. <laughs> so he had this perception that the world was very dangerous outside yeah. and so he was happy in prison. Well, maybe only for the people that encountered him, but, you know, <laughs> I guess that's, that's, his, that's his reality, right? <laughs> McDonald died in May of 2015 at the age of 90 um, and, as I said, was the longest-serving prisoner in custody yeah. in New South Wales. He ends up dying of a hernia or something, right? Uh, it was a gastrointestinal blockage, which I don't know. But does that just mean you can't poop? Well, he had issues of diarrhea and dementia. There are a uh, few other. There's a lot of things. He had some sort of... At ulcer- the age of 90, yeah. I feel like everything's kind of going down. His, his body was failing. <laughs> and I know that he did want to be resuscitated, but they didn't resuscitate him. Oh. So, which is an interesting tidbit. But I think one of the doctors who was at the scene or someone in the prison, I should have got names here. So this is why I shouldn't just like throw out these quotes. But I think somebody said that there was basically no point in trying to save him. Like yeah, the age of 90 is Like well. he was clearly not going to bounce back. Wait, I, I, feel, I feel like resuscitating him or trying to would have just been for show. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was gone. Well, there you go, Jared. Australia's... <laughs> Alleged first serial killer. Yeah, you know, asterisks. First gay serial killer. Yeah, well, look, we haven't actually had that many gay serial killers in Australia. I couldn't even list another one. Is this the first Australian we've covered in the podcast? Potentially. We just don't know. Oh, no, it's not. There's a very, very early one of this twink who killed in New South Wales. Okay, well, I missed that one. You weren't there for that one. Okay, so it was not the first Australian killer. It was the first Australian serial killer. I believe we have covered in this podcast. And I mean, his methods of disposal and the brutality of his crimes. I'm surprised he's not well, more well known, particularly with the name, the mutilator. It's also odd. Cause I've never heard even like my family, family members talk about this or anything. You would have assumed it's like a hot news item back in the day, but I don't know, maybe it's all hush, 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 hush. And, um, maybe no one knows his name. Everyone just knows him as that gay sicko. Thank you for listening to the Sinister Sissies podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sinister Sissies. You can follow us on Instagram at Sinister underscore Sissies. Uh, You can support us on Patreon if you feel like it for an after show and early access to episodes. Uh, Until next time, though, stay sinister. 